So if you are in 1 Corinthians 11, you've had some time to get there. We're going to, uh, uh, we're going to look at a message today entitled, Eat and Run. Eat and Run. Eat and Run. We're going to talk about communion today. In fact, we're going to receive communion. I want to teach you, um, if I may, about the importance of communion. I'm going to go ahead and grab mine, so I'll already have mine, because I want to talk about that here in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 11 is about several things, but it's also about communion. It is a sacred act of becoming closer to Christ. Now, I love to eat at new places. I love to eat new places. Yesterday, I had to go to a, a memorial service in, uh, in a town south, uh, about an hour south of here. And uh, when I drove into the town, I saw the Golden Arch. I saw the Red Hat. I saw the ice cream on top of the sign. I saw the taco place with the speech bubble. You, know, you all know what I'm talking about. And I said, I know all those places. And then I saw a place that I never heard of. And that's, all, that's usually the places I like to go. The mom and pops, the little places, the, the, the place that has terrible signage. And I know it's a risk, but usually it's a risk in my favor. You know? So I go there, and it was good. It was good, and they were quick, and I was appreciative of that because I told them I have, I have somewhere I need to be, so give me what's quick on the menu. And uh, it was nice. And I like to eat at those places because lots of places, you know, they cook burgers and barbecue and steaks, but not every place does it the same. Even I, I, I have some friends that say, well, I like to go to uh, Texas Roadhouse in Tulsa, but I don't like to go to the one in Stillwater. Well, I'm telling you right now, brothers and sisters, I'll go to either one. <laughs> it don't matter to me. I will go to either one. Uh, I'm not dropping hints. I'm just saying. But listen, when, when you go somewhere and, and, and you eat, and the food's terrible, but the person you're with is great, man, they make up for it, don't they? Because you're in good company. And likewise, when you, go, when you go to a place that's really, really good, and the good company's missing, either because you're eating by yourself or they're just... You know, they're just distracted the whole time. Hello, someone. Uh-huh. And, and they're, they're just missing. Well, then it's tolerable because at least you had good food. But when you go to a place and the food is good and the company is good, oh, it's just the best, right? It is absolutely the best. And so I've heard people say all my life, and typically it was my grandparents, they said, don't. Eat and run. Or watch your hurry. Because here's the thing about grandparents. They know if you, if you fix it, if you cook it, they will come, right? If you cook it, they will come. They know that. But they, they, don't, they don't necessarily cook it so that you will come. They fix it so you will stay. Right? They want you to stay. And so today we're talking about communion. And in Apostle Paul's day, people wanted to come and gorge. This is true. You can read it, and this is why I encourage you to read. Well, I'm only going to read a portion of this here in just a moment. But you need to read the whole chapter, and then there are other instructions. We are reading. This is, you know, uh, these epistles, epistle means letter, and 1 Corinthians is a letter. It's an epistle like Ephesians is and Galatians and Colossians. 
And we have chapters and verses to help us find different things, and I'm thankful for that, but these were not divided like that. They were long letters, and so we're reading somebody else's mail today. We're reading their mail, and uh, we're finding out something that was applied to them is also applied to us, but it's in a different way. Because in Paul's day, they wanted to come and just eat and eat and eat. They would not eat at home. They would eat at church because communion, we're, we're going to have communion here in just a moment, and it's different because it's like, I don't know why, I've always wondered about this because it, it doesn't seem that biblical, but ever since I was a kid, we, we come in, to church, we have communion, and we have these little bitty cups, right, and we have this little bitty wafer, and the wafers we had when I was a kid were even smaller than the round ones that we have today, and it was like, the littler the portions, the holier it was. You know, I'll never forget going to Sister Doreen's house, Sister uh, uh, Doreen Thompson, and she lives near Scheidler, and we went to her house one time. We were having cottage prayer meetings, and everyone who hosted a cottage prayer meeting had to host communion. And so everybody knew you use grape juice and unleavened bread. Well, not Sister Doreen. She didn't have grape juice and unleavened bread. But I, I'm telling you what, that lady could make bread, homemade bread, like Sister Wilda. Uh, she could make some good homemade bread. And so we show up to her house, and she has this platter of homemade bread that are pulled off, and we're talking about half the size of a dinner roll portion, which in communion, in, with communion scale is like an entire loaf of bread, right? In communion scale. And so she has this, these chunks of bread, and she didn't have juice, so she dolloped Welch's grape jelly on the bread. Oh, it was my favorite communion of all time, I'm telling you. I loved it. I was like, yes, finally someone's had a breakthrough on communion. And so, you know, I have a good friend who's, who has had communion with Cheez-Its uh, as, his, as his cracker. And, uh, and there's no sacrilege in that. You know, there, there's, there's no, I mean, it's, it's not sacrilegious to do that. Uh, but we, we do this out of tradition. We do this, and I'll explain maybe a little bit more about this, but we shifted to this uh, earlier this year simply because of safety this is the all-in-one thing and when you get it by the way i'll demonstrate it since i have it here and now there's this little clear film right here and you can pull that off and that will reveal the wafer and uh, uh then then you pull the the hard tab back and that will reveal the juice and so now, in Paul's day, they were coming and gorging themselves. Communion was not this. It was a full-on meal. It was a potluck meal. Okay, and I say potluck loosely because really the church was providing it. And they, they would bring in supplemental things, but the church was providing it. Well, these people wouldn't even eat at home. Why would you eat at home when you get a free meal? And so, and then not only that, so that was one thing. They were gorging themselves at church. But then also they were so hungry and so eager to eat that they weren't waiting on one another, okay? And if any of y'all had a mama like my mom, and I love my mama, but if us boys started in eating before she sat down, after she spent an hour and a half fixing that meal, and if we, if we sat down, if she sat down and we were already eating, we're going to get one of these looks? Like, excuse me? You could wait on me, you know? And so, and mama taught us, right? You wait on, did anybody else have that kind of teaching? I mean, I mean you need to wait on the people who are, who are fixing the meal. And then also we would want to give thanks. We want, want to give thanks for 
the meal that we had. And so uh, today, it's opposite. We see people want to eat and run when it comes to communion. I just want to say that. Now, I, I, I love every one of you. And, and I'm saying this for myself, too. I've gotten so handy and used to when I, get, uh, when I participate in communion that I just want to take it and let's move on. Eat and run. Eat and run. In Paul's day, it was, they, were, they were still running, but only because they were cutting in line and gorging themselves. And then they, they were missing the point of what this communion means. And so, what is the meaning of communion? Well, let's look in the 27th verse. I think we're going to find some things there. 1 Corinthians 27. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and, or sorry, yes, against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves. Still, this is 28, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Look at 29. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. Hmm. And eat and drink, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and are sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, let me just, I'm, I want to keep reading, but let me pause right there to give some commentary. Okay, he is saying that because they eat and drink in an unworthy manner, there's judgment. Remember, we've been talking about this. God is a God of order. He is always, this is the biblical pattern of it. Order, what's next? Glory, what's last? Judgment, always. That's why it's so important. Order, glory, and then judgment. And this is what he's saying here. The, he's saying that, that the sacrament of Holy Communion is so significant and vital and crucial that if you do it in an unworthy manner, he's, he's saying that some of you are sick. He's talking to the Corinthians. Some of you are sick and some of you fall asleep. What does that mean, they fall asleep? Does that mean they've had such a good meal that, man, I'm telling you, somebody needs to create a restaurant where you go in and sit in recliners and eat at a table, and then as soon as you're done, you push a button and that recliner automatically slides back and then just begins to recline. I would buy tickets, I'm telling you. I'll pay whatever price to just be able to eat and then sleep. But that's not what he's talking about. He is talking about they're dead. They've died. He said, this is why some of you are sick and some of you are asleep. Okay? But, 31, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined because he loves us so that we will not be finally condemned with the world because God doesn't want us to be condemned. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, and he is talking about communion, not just church dinners, not potluck. He's specifically talking about remembering uh, the Lord's body and blood. You should all eat together. You should eat together. Anyone who is, uh, is hungry should eat something at home. <laughs> Don't. Don't treat it like you're going to Catfish Roundup and you've got to fast for a day and a half so that you can get all your money's worth for the all-you-can-eat catfish, 
right? I'm speaking out of experience here. He says, eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Because he says it will. It will result in judgment. Now, and then he says, when, and when I come to you, I will give you further instructions. And indeed, he does. I, I, I want to look at this passage, and I may reference some other passages in 1 Corinthians 11. But there is the first thing we have to realize out of this entire passage is that Jesus Christ is the one, the only one who makes us worthy to follow his example and participate in communion. I love how Pastor Caleb said, I don't know if you caught it, but he, he, he encouraged us to participate in worship. Did you catch that? Participate. That word is so important. That's what Paul, is exactly what Paul was telling the early believers. You're not participating in it. Yes, you're coming. The tummy's getting full and you're eating food, and you're going through all of the motions, but there is no participation in the symbology, and not just the symbology, but the miracle of communion. It is an absolute miracle. It's reflective of a miracle. It's symbolic of a miracle. And the, and the, the, the ability to participate is, in fact, a miraculous thing. Now, Jesus is the only one who makes us worthy. I don't know if anyone in this room is reading the King James Version. I like the King James Version. I have the new King James Version here. I've just quoted out of the NIV. But I read the King James a lot. But the pro one of the, not problems, but, but tricky things about the King James Version with the 27th verse is that it has caused some to misunderstand in this regard. It says this, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, unworthily, what does that mean? He says, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. The word unworthily has made some Christians to think, well, I make myself worthy. I'm the one, I have to make myself worthy. Okay, let's get worthy to do this. They assume that. To receive communion, I've got to make myself worthy. And listen, if you've sinned, and we all have sinned, we're unworthy. And the only one who can make us worthy is Jesus Christ. And the only way we are worthy is because he died. But not just that, that he was buried. Because he couldn't be buried without dying first, right? It's not lawful to bury someone alive. Even as cruel as the Roman cross was, they're not, you're not supposed to bury people alive. And so he couldn't be buried, legitimately taken to a cemetery, unless he is indeed dead. And then the reason that he had to die and to be buried, the whole reason is because he needed to be resurrected. You can't be resurrected unless you're dead. I know I'm speaking so obvious here, but I just want us to connect this together because we've forgotten. We forget. I forget. That if it wasn't for the resurrection... The resurrection is the key. It, it, when, we, when we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, okay, Resurrection Sunday, the whole pinnacle of that weekend is that Jesus Christ is alive. The whole pinnacle, the whole climax, the, the whole point of it is that he's alive. But he couldn't be alive if he wasn't first dead. 
Now, we can go to the graves of any of the other gods, saviors, or messiahs that have ever lived. Truly, you can go to Krishna's grave. You can go to Buddha's grave. You can go to any one of those graves, and they are still in the grave, and they're still dead. True story. You can go to any one of those. But you can try to find, and, and several scholars have tried to nail down the two or three suspected places where Jesus had borrowed Joseph's tomb. And guess what? Jesus Christ is not there, is he? He is alive and he is well. And he's seated at the right end of the Father. And so the only one who makes us worthy is Jesus. Then what does it mean to examine yourself? Why did the Apostle Paul say, then examine yourself? What's that all about? Well, when you repent, or when you are repentant, I should say, our sin drives us to the Savior and not away from Him. Remember a few weeks ago, I did the teaching on the difference between fear and afraid. When you fear God, you are pulled to the Lord. When you fear Him, you honor Him, you reverence Him. But when you're afraid of God, it's a push away all the time. When you're afraid of God, you push away from Him. There's a, there's a force that pushes away. It's intimidation. It's condemnation. And that force pushes you away from God. And it comes from yourself. But when you fear the Lord, you're pulled to Him. Repentance pulls us to the Lord. Condemnation wants to drive us further away. Okay, so, an, uh, so a repentant heart is the way that we examine ourselves. We're, I, I am not examining myself. Listen, I'm a terrible self-examiner. I am, absolutely, every day. Somebody, any one of you could ask me on a given day, how are you doing, Kevin? And I'll say, fine, how are you? See right there? That's a terrible examination. I'm not fine. Sometimes, I mean, most of the time I am. I'd like to think I am. But sometimes I'm not, and I say that I am. I know that's a newsflash, but sorry. <laughs> I say, fine, how are you? Why? Because I don't want to get into why I'm not doing okay. You know? I'm a terrible self-examiner. I will wait until the very last minute until I absolutely have to go to urgent care on a Saturday evening at 8 p.m. when they're already closed. Right? I'm terrible self-examiner. Thank God I don't do my own surgeries. I'd faint before I even got past the skin. Just from the thought of it. I am a I, ter terrible self-examination. Anyone, I, I have gone to the dentist before and told uh, the hygienist, a sweet lady that always, you know, she's cleaning my teeth, and I'll, I'll tell her, I'll say, Carrie, I've got something right here in this too. Well, it's not either. It feels, have you ever had something like that? It feels like it's here, and it's way back here, you know, and it feels like it's this big, and it's so small, you can't hardly even see it. I, we're, we're terrible at self-examination. So then why does Paul say examine yourself? Because what he's really saying is you've got to agree to the examination of the Holy Spirit. And that does involve yourself. I can't be examined by my doctor unless I go to his office. Okay, even with telehealth, it's not the same. Like, I have got to agree to the examination before the examination happens. So when he says examine yourself, we're really saying, okay, Holy Spirit, here I am. Here I am. You can examine me. You can look into me. You can reveal to me the things that I need to see. So then he says, 
that we're not only supposed to discern our own self, what's going on in our heart, but we're supposed to discern the, 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 the body and the blood of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, the word discern means to observe. So there is an observation. This is why communion is so deep, y'all. It's, it's, it's more than just a meal. It's more than just partaking in some elements. There is a two-way conversation, observation going on at the same time. It's the same reason why grandma used to tell me, hey, y'all come over and eat. I, you know, I never went to grandma and grandpa's house where they invited us to eat, and we walked in there, and there was a note on the table that said, here's the food, y'all help yourself. As soon as you're done, I'm going to be watching with a pair of binoculars from the barn, and when you're done, I'll come clean up the meal. Love, grandma. No, grandma was always there. She wanted to be sitting across the table. She wanted to know uh, how, the, how school was going, how the job was going, how the kids are doing. She, the, hearing about it over the telephone is not enough. She wants to see so that then she can give, grandma can give insight and advice and opinions about what's going on in your life. Anybody else have a grandma like that? And she wants that. She wants to be able to hear your voice. She wants to be able to see you react not just to what she's, she has cooked, but how you are living your life. Not only that, Grandma doesn't want to just hear about what's going on in your life. She wants you to hear about what's going on in her life. She has called you over to her house because she has something she wants to say to you so that you will recognize something that you may not have known if you were uh, constantly absent from her presence. Why? Because there's a great exchange going on. It's not eat and run. It's not communion and enjoying and participating is not as simple as going through a drive-thru. Nothing wrong with drive-thrus, by the way. But when it comes to intimacy, it won't do. Now, here's the second thing I want us to see about 1 Corinthians 11 and communion. Communion brings healing to our body, our soul, and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It bring, this, is the, this is a meal. A lot of people call this the meal that heals. The meal that heals. Because think about it. If before I receive a meal that is causing me to reflect on someone or something, then there are going to be some questions I'm going to have to ask that I don't normally ask. In other words, it's going to probe deeper. And the whole purpose of intimacy is to drive, or to draw, rather, uh, individuals together. Sickness happens in our bodies when an organism that doesn't belong has invaded. It's called a virus. That's sickness. An organism that doesn't belong in you shows up in you. The other way sickness happens is when something that is supposed to be in you is deficient. When I was young, when I, when, when I was a, a, a child, I went to the doctor and they, the doctors told my parents, he's anemic. I didn't know what that means. I was like, I, no, I'm Christian. I'm Pentecostal. <laughs> they said, no, you're anemic. You know, and, and uh, then they told me I'm going to have to have some more iron. And I was like, well, that's going to be awkward and hurt. How am I supposed to consume that? Didn't understand it. 
There is a deficiency. So something wrong is present or something crucial is missing. And that is what causes sickness. We have a natural tendency to remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. That's soul sickness. Is when we remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. That's soul sickness. That's why when Jesus said he's taken our sin, our mess, that mess I was talking about, this the thorn and the, the thickets and the briars and all of that. And he said when, when we trusted him with that, he took it and he chose to not remember it anymore. Now, a God who never forgets chooses to, to not remember those sins. Think about that. It's amazing. And then he distances those sins from us and him in a way that they can't be retrieved anymore except by our own memory. And that's, the, that's one of the other crucial importances of Holy Communion is because I tend to, to remember what I'm supposed to be forgetting and then I forget what I'm supposed to be remembering. And that will cause an imbalance in your life. It can cause uh, uh, physical sickness. The word disease, when you break it down into two parts, dis-ease, there's a lack of ease in your body. There's a, a, an imbalance in your body. And so God wants to bring balance. You know, one of the reasons I talked about this a few weeks ago is uh, we were talking about uh, David bringing in the Ark of the Covenant, and I used the symbology of altars. And in the Old Testament, we find altars. And one of the main reasons why God set up altars in the Old Testament is because people would remember what they're supposed to forget. And they would forget what they're supposed to remember. One of the most... You think about altars in the Old Testament. We still know to this day where a lot of those altars were. Moriah, for example, where Abraham took Isaac up on that very mountain and he made an altar right there. And he was going to, he was going to offer up Isaac, but remember God miraculously provided a ram. And then it would be thousands of years later that on that very same mountain where Jesus would be tried... And, and he, he was crucified on Golgotha, but not far from Moriah was the, the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified. He was offered up as the sacrificial lamb. God didn't require Isaac to be sacrificed, human sacrifice, but he did say, I will give my son because he is perfect and he is spotless. Isaac is not, but Jesus Christ is. And he is enough. He is enough. He is enough to atone for the sins of the entire world. His grace is enough. Not only for the sins. Think about this. When Jesus died, he didn't die just for the sins that you had committed before you became forgiven through his blood. Hopefully you are forgiven through his blood. That's a, that, that is a, a miracle that can happen in your life today if you're not. But also the sins, if I may dare say, and I'll put me in this too, the sins that we're about to commit in the future. You might say, well, I thought you said we're not sinful people. We're not sinners and that we don't practice sin. That's true. But it doesn't mean that we're immune to it. We absolutely can. But that's how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is. The sacrificial lamb was powerful enough to say, I will wash all of your sins away. 
And so uh, we, we, we tend to think in a patternistic way in our life. And that tendency to think the way that we've always thought or do the things that we've always done is called a heuristic bias. This heuristic bias is the same thing when you are so tired, you don't really want to put thought into what you're going to wear, and you go into your closet and you put something on and you realize you wore it three days ago or you wore it last week. Or the heuristic bias that you have is like when you walk into the kitchen and you don't feel like fixing something, or so you just grab for the same old, same old out of the cupboard or the refrigerator or the freezer to grab that frozen meal. Because you gravitate towards the things that make sense or the things that are feel, they, they feel comfortable. And if we're not careful, the same thing can happen with communion. We sort of get this bias that this is the way it ought to be. We tend to pray the same way. I want you to help me out this morning. Some of you learned this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I, I pray the Lord my soul to... And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to... Right, so we, a lot of you know that, which is kind of a scary prayer for a kid to pray, honestly. You know, like no kid wants to think about dying, but we're like, okay, now say your prayers, Johnny. If you kick it before you wake up. What about this? God is great. God is, let us thank him for the, right. And so we say these prayers, we get in, why? And there's nothing wrong with those prayers because we're teaching children how to pray and how to call on the name of the Lord. But we can pray the same way. We can worship the same way and we can communion the same way. The same way. And I, and, and I sense that, you know, the reason that I feel like the, the Lord has laid this, this message on my heart so much is because God is stirring and moving so wonderfully right now in our community, in our midst, in church, in the world. There are revivals. There are, there are states right now where churches, by, by according to their governor, their, their officials, they should not be meeting in places like this. And you know what they're doing? They're setting up tents outside. And people are packing the grounds. They're still staying spread out. Miracles, signs and wonders are happening in these places. In California, I just saw an, another report just uh, late last night. There's another revival that's going on, uh, I believe in Kentucky. People are gathering. Why? Because God is moving. The reason that I'm sharing this is because when, when God sets up the order, he reveals his glory. When he sets up the order, he reveals his glory. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. He's saying, look, church, you're out of order with this. You're coming, you're, you're gorging yourself, you're not waiting on one another, you've forgotten what you're supposed to remember. And he said, you've, you, you've got to slow down. You've got to slow down and participate in what is happening here. We tend to eat and run. Now, the last thing I want to share about this passage is this, is that communion is the sign of the new covenant. It's the symbol of the hope that we have in Christ and intimacy with God. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, this setup here as intimacy because the world has so twisted and perverted that term. Intimacy. What it means. But yet, you... The, the God Almighty, Yahweh that we were talking about, Rose of Sharon, 
desires to be intimate with you, to know you. And it's an incomplete picture, but going back to the example I gave you, when you were invited over to grandparents' house, because they knew if they fixed it, you would come. But they wanted you to stay. They said, you don't have to eat and run. Stay here for a little bit. Let's talk. While you're thinking of 50,000 things you got to do. Or you're thinking, well, we're just going to have the same conversation. The same conversation. You know, I op- likewise, you may feel like I open up your word, God, but you're just saying the same thing to me over and over. It reminds me of a preacher who preached a message one Sunday. It's a powerful message. The next Sunday, he preached the exact same one. Four Sundays later, some of his church members go to the board members and they say, look, you've got to say something to pastor. Either he's losing it or he's ran completely out of material. He has preached the same message for four Sundays in a row. So one of the board members finally get up enough gumption to go to the pastor and say, Pastor, we've noticed that you preached the same message for four weeks in a row. And he said, you better believe it, I have. And as soon as you start listening to me, I'll go on to the next one. Don't make me preach sermons now. I'm not going to do that. But you know what? Some of those things that we hear in a moment of intimacy, we tend to miss them because to us they're repetitive and they're mundane. But we miss the embrace because I noticed that grandma didn't just invite me over to feed me and to listen to me and for me to listen to her, but there was an embrace that was going to happen. There was, gonna, there was an embrace that was going to happen and it did happen. It's a sign of intimacy. Now, the definition of a covenant, I said as a covenant, is a, is, it is a sacrament, or the, the sacrament of communion has to do with the definition of covenant. It comes from the Greek word diathlike. And so it means a testament or a will between two or more parties. A testament or a will between two or more parties. When you have a living will, it is a written uh, or, or, or a notarized form that says while you're alive, if you come incapacitated, if you, if you become incapacitated, you're not able to make decisions for yourself. This is what you want to have done. I have one of those. I have a holographic uh, written will and then I have a will. And in that will, in the, the will that I have says now if I'm dead and gone, this is what I want done with my stuff. The, the, the living will is not valid unless a doctor validates that I can't make decision. And then the will that I have is not valid in, until the death certificate is in hand. Why am I saying this? Because Jesus Christ said, I'm going to give you a new covenant. Folks, it was not validated until he was dead, buried, and then he resurrected from the dead. It is the only time in history that someone has been able to validate a covenant, a will, a testament, and then be able to come back and make sure that it's carried out just like they wanted it to be done. I hear people talking about that. Well, grandma and grandpa was here, what they would do. Well, they're not. They're not. And I don't mean that 
uh, disrespectfully, but the thing is, is that their will is there, and, and, it's, and hopefully that attorney or that doctor or that person, that, that uh, executor, will make sure the will is done. But Jesus came, ba- Jesus came back to life to say, folks, I'm here to make sure it's done. I'm, I'm here to make sure it's done. And not only that, I'm going to empower you to make sure it's done. I'm going to give you power through the Holy Spirit so that you can do it. You don't have to do it on your own. I'm even going to give you the strength to do this. It's, the, it's his valid covenant. That's why this communion is so important. That's why there's no reason to eat and run. And listen, let me say this. I want you to hear my heart. I love you. I love you. And I've done this too. But we go through this heuristic bias, this patternistic moment of where we, we go through communion here in just a moment. I'm going to tell you to this, tell you to that. And then as soon as we sip the cup, you know, when I was a kid, I used to snake my tongue up in the cup to make sure I got every drop of juice because I was afraid that mom and dad wasn't going to beat it to Buffy's fast enough. That was the buffet place. It was called Buffy's in Call City. We got to get there fast because this kid's hungry. And I thought this is going to be my last meal before I'm near starvation. We do stuff like that or we start looking for the usher. Here, I got to throw this away. I got to throw this away. I got to... Listen, what God wants us to do, just pause and say thank you, thank you. To not eat and run, but just to pause and say yes. That usher will be by in just a moment to pick up that cup, but you know what if they don't? You're pausing and you're listening and you're not only that, but you're feeling the embrace of the Father. He's an intimate God. He's an intimate God. Now, the manner in which Jesus presented this supper and this ordinance is really about intimacy with him. In fact, Pastor, would you go ahead and come? I'm going to get ready to call the ushers here in just a second to disperse communion, but not yet ushers. I want to just, I, I, I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your hearts right now. Would you do that as we get ready to receive communion together? Jesus instructed his disciples and he, and, he, and he allows his Holy Spirit to instruct us too. Jesus gave hope to his disciples and he desires to give hope to you too. Communion is a symbolic remembrance of a new covenant of grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. It's the meal that heals. Now, I want to say one more thing before we receive communion that's on my heart. Many times I have received communion just like this where I have the cup and the, and the bread and it's brought tears to my mind or to my eyes rather because I think of what Jesus did for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. Because especially if you're carrying a lot of heaviness, and I have at times in my life, I've carried a lot of heaviness. And I thought, I'm not worthy. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, you're right, you're not worthy. I make you worthy. Just like He's making you worthy right now. Some of you are listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
and he's, he's dealing with you about things that are in your heart, and it's not to condemn you. You just need to repent and turn to him right now because he wants intimacy with you. Just listen to his voice. He's so loving, he's so gracious, and he's so kind. But I, I want to I tell you this, that did you know that in the first century of the early church, what we're about to do was an all-out wild party? They were celebrating. Because at the Last Supper, they didn't understand what Jesus was doing. They didn't understand it. They're like, what? It's your body. What? Did you know the bread that's unleavened? You know where that comes from? See, the, the mashka or the mushka, I believe it's called in, in, in Hebrew culture, they were, they were doing uh, Passover before Egypt, before the Exodus. This was, a, this was a Hebrew practice before then. But on the Passover night, when, when God told the children of Israel to get out of Egypt, they had to go before the bread could rise. That's the reason for the unleavened bread. It was the urgency of it. Because I'm rescuing you, the Father said. I'm delivering you from the hand of Pharaoh. Jesus, indeed, did rise from the dead. He did. And they didn't understand a thing about what Jesus was saying at the Last Supper. But after he had rose from the dead, they fully got it. And what they were celebrating every time they took communion was Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. In fact, this is documented in the epistles. You can read it yourself and also in ancient Roman writings. They thought the Christians were practicing cannibalism. You know why? Because somebody would be walking by church and they'd stop, they'd hear something, and they'd hear them talking about eating a body and drinking blood. They thought they were practicing cannibalism. They didn't know that they were saying, hey, remember, this is symbolic. Remember, because it's not transubstantiation. The Bible doesn't even hint to it. What does that mean? That's, that's when you believe that this actually does become the body. This actually does come, become the blood. There's nowhere in Scripture. We said, but Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. Yes, it's symbolic. And so the Romans thought the, Christ, the early Christians were practicing cannibalism. And not only that, but every time they walked past a house where they were having church, whoa, they were, they were excited. They were worshiping. They were celebrating. They were joyful. This was a joyful. How did it become? Listen, there's nothing wrong with the tears. Please hear my heart. I've done this too, and I will do it. I may today. It just depends on how the Spirit embraces my heart. Sometimes the embrace is so tender that I can't help myself and the tears flow. But, but I think we've lost, we've forgotten, we don't know that this actually symbolizes victory and joy. This is something to be joyful about. You say, how can we be joyful that Jesus died and he, and he was beaten and he was bruised? Because he rose again. That's how. Because he rose again. Because he's alive. That's what made him valid. That's what, made, that's what signed and sealed the covenant. Gave us the promise. He's alive. And I'm reminded, in, it's either in the gospel of Mark or Luke. Remember, it says when Jesus did this with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he was giving them the example, they went out on a mountain, and what did they do? They sang a hymn. 
Now, I don't know what number it was. It probably wasn't 333 because they didn't have our red book, but they sang a hymn. It could have been, I don't know, I don't know, but it could have been they were singing the same hymn that David sang whenever he was dancing his way back into Jerusalem when the ark of God was following him. I don't know. But they sang, and you, it's very hard to sing a hymn of praise and be down and out. I just want to say that for consideration. That sometimes I have felt joyful when I'm receiving communion. I thought, well, I can't do that. Get a hold of yourself. Yes, you can. You can feel joyful. You can feel thankful. So ushers, would you come and please disperse communion? And they're going to bring the trays to you. And just take this and hold it in your hand, please. Just hold it steady until we can all receive it together. Because here's the thing about communion. One of the words in communion is union. And so, not only does God want us to have togetherness with Him, but He wants us to have togetherness with each other. That we get to, we get to, together, we, we get to share this time. You can go ahead, ushers, if you would. We get to share this time with one another and remember together. You know how the Bible says that we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and what? The word of our testimony. The word of our testimony. You know, I think it was, it was it last week or the week before last, we heard a wonderful testimony about how we know God heals cancer, that disease that doesn't belong in the body. He heals cancer. Thank God that He heals, He delivers, He saves. And when we receive this together, it's like we are all unitedly saying, Together as a body, we know that God heals, He saves, and He delivers. We know that He does. We know that He does. See, when we get the order of communion right, the glory of intimacy with Jesus will follow. When we get the order of communion right, the glory of intimacy with Jesus will follow. I don't know how many of you have ever had communion at your home. I would encourage you to do that. Or if it's been a while, to have communion at your home. You may live alone. You can still have communion at home. Yes, we need to do it together as the body. That's the most important thing. But then together with your, with your family, with your children... To pause and say, we're going to have communion. We're going to have communion. We have done it. We have not done it often enough. I was thinking about that this morning. It's like, man, I was trying to think back. It's been, it's been several months since the girls and I have had communion together. But I, I encourage you to do that. Because th that's where communion started. It started in house to house. House to house. As they were gathering. They were saying... We're here to worship. We're here to pray. We're here to be apostolic. We're going to send and be sent. But we're also here to remember. Because God, I pray this morning that you would deal with our hearts, Lord. As you know, we have a tendency, I have a tendency, to remember what I should be forgetting and to forget what I should be remembering. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you're taking the common use of this wafer and this juice.
You're taking what's commonly used as food, and it's, it's a miraculous moment of coming together as the body of Christ to say, Lord, we not only acknowledge the covenant that you made with us, but we are thankful for it, and we receive it, Lord, and we want your intimacy. We want your loving kindness. We want you to come closer and closer and closer. Thank you, Jesus. So I want you to feel free this morning. I want you to feel free. I want you to respond to the Holy Spirit this morning. So if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit right there, you can sit right there. But just posture yourself right now. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. It's so important that you just listen to the Holy Spirit. Because we're not, we're not about getting in ruts or tradition right now. We're just, we, we, God, we want your order. We're so thankful, Lord. So thankful. So thankful, Jesus. So thankful, Jesus. So I'm going to read a little bit out of 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, meaning the bread, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread this morning out of your cup. It's that clear film. Take the bread. And he... And Jesus just gave thanks for it. So, traditionally, I, I lead you in thanksgiving, but can I just say you're free right now just to thank the Lord for His body. Just thank Him. Just thank Him out of your heart. Thank Him for His body. Let's thank Him together for His body, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, good, you're good, you're good, Lord, you're good, Lord, you're good, God, you're good, God. We remember, we remember now, we remember that your body, resurrected body, is so reflected here in your bride today, she's resurrected in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the resurrected body of Jesus Christ in 2021. The resurrected body of Jesus Christ that are movers and shakers and world changers. I thank you for the body. Thank you for the body, Lord. Thank you that the life of your body, it comes from your spirit, Jesus. We honor you. Amen. Let's take the the bread this morning to remember the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Prepare the cup if you will. Man, Lord, you're so good. Listen, it says, in the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, this is one of those times when we want it to be in remembrance of you. Not common. Not, us not uh, usual, Lord. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus that makes us worthy. We are so thankful. We are so thankful. The atoning, saving blood of Jesus Christ not only saved us, but God, you saved us to you. 
You set us free. You empowered us. There's power in the blood. I thank you for power in the blood of Jesus Christ to heal every disease. I thank you for power in the blood of Jesus Christ to set captives free, to break addictions in Jesus' name. I thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to break down strongholds. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Lord, for the blood to mend relationships. Thank you, Lord, for the blood to release financial blessing for those, Lord, who are in need right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that puts a net of safety around this house, around this community, around these homes that are represented in this room. Every address, I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, the blood that covers every child, every man, every woman. Thank you for your blood, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We want to remember, Holy Spirit, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the cup this morning. Hallelujah. Now just take some time to thank him. Take some time to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice for what he's done, to rejoice. Lord, we rejoice because we have you. Thank you for the embrace. Holy Spirit, just let us feel your embrace right now. Holy Spirit, let us feel your arms wrapping around our soul where our soul has been imbalanced. Our body, Lord, has been imbalanced. God, I thank you that you're healing disease right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I see in my spirit someone has a crooked uh, spine. Lord, their spine is, is crooked. I thank you for straightening that spine right now in Jesus' name. Healing and fusing together bone and sinew and marrow in the name of Jesus. I thank you for for the ease, Lord, of pain right now, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for healing chronic headaches in this room. Somebody's been having chronic, chronic headaches. You've been having headaches one right after another. They're too often. They, they may not be every day, but at least once a week. And God says they're broken right now in the name of Jesus. Your headaches are broken right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Also, God wants to correct your vision. He wants to correct your vision right now. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. We just receive your healing, Lord. And we are so thankful for all that, you're done, all that you've done and all that you are doing. Keep doing it, Lord. Keep flowing. Keep working, we pray. We thank you, Jesus. We're so thankful. So thankful to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.